from Coimbra to Colombia, from Morocco to Miami. We tell the stories of the people who make the world of international law and business turn. We give glimpses into their lives and provide insights from their experience. These accounts come from every sector and every industry around the globe. Simply put, without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. Hello, and welcome back to Team TOT. Can y'all believe that we are already approaching the halfway point on season three? The season is just blowing by, and I'll tell you what I can't believe, that we are less than 50 downloads away from crossing the big 10,000. Thank you all for listening and for your support and to continue to like and share the show. And as always, if you've got a moment, leave us a review. It can literally be one sentence. It all helps. However, we've got a lot to cover today, so let's just get into it. And this week, we'll start with a little story, a story about me nonetheless. You see, Back when I was an LLM student at Tsinghua University in Beijing, shout out to Tsinghua, I had a lot going on. I was working as a law clerk at a local firm, taking a full course load, planning career moves, and, well, exploring Beijing. It was during that time that my classmate, Yaya, comes to me and says, hey man, let's sign up for the VIS MOOC. It's like this huge international MOOC court competition. Now, having a lot on my plate, I say to Yaya, I don't know if I have the time. I'm really busy. Well, Yaya talked me into going to an interest meeting for something called the WellMC This Moot Court Competition. And the rest? Well, it's history. Because of my participation in the Moot, I formed lifelong friendships, ignited a smoldering interest in international arbitration, got involved with the Moot Alumni Association, and even got to be an observer at the UN. All of that is a backdrop and I guess a segue into introducing our guest for this week. This week's guests are fellow participants, either former or current, of the This Moot and are part of a very unique and exclusive club therein. You see, this week's guests represent schools that have emerged victorious from the This East and the This Moot respectively. I'm talking, of course, of Fordham Law School, the winner of the This East, and Bucerius Law School, which won This Vienna. Both teams showed phenomenal skill and grit to succeed. In the second edition of Virtual Mooting, and our interview gave us a peek into what those teams did to prepare and what it's like in the moment. Both teams showed phenomenal skill and grit to succeed in the second edition of the Virtual Moot Court competition. And our interview gave us an insight, a peek into how those teams prepare, what it's like in the moment, and well, what it feels like to win the this move. So, strap in. This is a longer one, but I think you'll enjoy it. Here is my conversation with the 2021 This Moot Champions. We'll see you on the other side of the show. Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. My name is Chris Campbell here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law, dispute resolution, and business. With me today, we're actually taking a step back from the folks that are actively out there in the field, in the trenches, doing commercial work to touch on a subject that we talk about a pretty decent amount in the off-season and, frankly, in the show notes and on Disputes Digest. It's a topic called the Will MC This Moot. It's a little competition that goes on every year in 
including about several hundred law schools from around the world, thousands of law students. And very rarely do we get the opportunity to actually just take a break and to talk with the people that do it, the coaches, the students, the people behind the scenes. And so, so this week we get the opportunity to speak with the representatives of two schools that participated in the Bismuth and the Vis East this year, but I buried the lead just a little bit there. These are not just regular participants. These are the winners respectively of the Vis and the Vis East. And so we're gonna start with the former. The two of the participants from the Busiris Law School join us here today as, as well as one of their coaches. That would be Mr. Christoph Ludwig is one of the coaches, Mr. Jonas Klein is one of the students, and Ms. Magnetti Leek are all with us today in the digital studio. So, in kind, hello, welcome to the digital studio. Hello, Hi, Chris. Chris, thank you so much for having us. Yes, looking forward to talk to you a bit about the this. Yes, great. Um, and so, well, since, as we do with all of our panel episodes, um, I would like to get to know each of you just a little bit. So we just heard from Jonas and Mignetti there, um, and Christoph is still there as well. Um, we'll start in round robin fashion. Jonas, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know? Well, yes, Chris, thank you very much for the question. Um, I'm from Lubeck originally, and I graduated from high school in 2018. And at that time, I was still studying the piano in the conservatory, actually. But for some reason, my path took me to law school uh, to Hamburg. And I enrolled at Basirius in September 2018, and I'm now in my third year of law school. Wow, that's great. And uh, so Libic, or I'm sorry, uh, let me, let me I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's in Germany, right? Yes, that's right. That's a small town north of Germany, uh, very close by with Hamburg. and. Um, a medieval city with a very interesting history, known from the Hanseatic League. Um, yes, a great little town, but I'm also happy to be in Hamburg now, uh, a little bit bigger city and nice for students my age. Yeah, so, so you're in your, you just finished your third year. How many more years of uh, law school do you have? Well, if everything goes according to plan and well, I'm hoping to have my first state exam by 2023. So another one to two years of preparation and then the second state exam to come after two more years of practice and experience in the working field. And then I will hopefully be a qualified lawyer. Yes, hopefully. Knocking on wood there. <laughs> okay, so thanks for that uh, introduction, Jonas. We'll uh, come back to you in just a moment. And how about you, Manietti? Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for the question. I'm also from Germany originally, but from Berlin. So for me, transitioning to Hamburg for law school, was other than for Jonas, not going to a bigger city, but rather going to a little bit of a smaller city, which I really enjoy. I'm actually loving Hamburg a lot, the water and the great atmosphere. And I actually like the fact that it is not as big as Berlin. So I graduated high school in 2017 in Berlin and then had a year abroad, worked a little, went to South Africa and made a little bit of experience that is not at all connected to law school. And then I started together with Jonas in the same year in 2018. And now we had the great opportunity to to participate in the VIS in the third year. And just as you and us, I'm hoping to be finished by 2023 and then another two years until we can actually maybe do what we did virtually and in a non-real format in the VIS now. Well, sure. And you mentioned you took some time to do some things that were non-law. Yes. What were those things? What were you keeping yourself busy with? Oh, actually, I did a lot of different things. I think the first half of my like gap year, which is very common for German students to do after high school, I was actually working in Berlin in a store for interior design, uh, which I just loved. I was there in the like before Christmas season and 
worked a lot with like decorating the windows for Christmas. I really loved that. And then in early 2018, I went to South Africa for three months. Um, two of them, I worked at a game reserve. So in conservation and more of in a, in a yeah natural resources field, very unconnected to law. And then the last month of me staying in South Africa was just traveling around, visiting family. I actually do have family in, in Johannesburg. And it was also my first time visiting Cape Town and getting to know the country a little bit more. So I really enjoyed that. And then for the summer, I just did some more traveling in Europe and got ready for the big world of law school afterwards. Okay. So you were just completely just laying around. You weren't really doing that much. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, well, great. And thanks for that. And so finally, we come now to the fear, one of the fearless leaders, the coach, Christoph. Hey. Hello. Thanks for having me as well. I was only a part of the fearless leaders. So uh, I finished uh, high school a bit earlier than the two of them in 2014. And so while they were still in high school in 2016, 2017, I participated in the VIS myself, finished my first day exam in 2019. Since then, I've been uh, working at Bucerius as a research, research assistant and uh, writing my doctoral thesis. Other than what one could think, it's actually not an arbitration, but rather in public law. Um, in between European and administrative law. And uh, this year and the last year, I've had the pleasure of um, coaching Wismut teams of uh, Bucerius Law School together with two or three other different uh, coaches. Okay. And well, we'll go ahead and give a shout out. Who, what were the names of the other uh, couple of coaches? Uh, the other three coaches this year were um, Anna Isford, Cheng Ming Zhang, and Janusz Kasberg. So, and obviously like they all had at least equal part in the fact that we had this amazing result happening this year. So shout out to them, definitely. Okay, and, and actually my follow-up question for you, Christoph, actually also ends up being a little bit of a segue to the next set of questions. Um, and that is, what does a guy that has an interest and is working in public international law, how do you find yourself doing, um, not just commercial arbitration um, research and work, but also coaching the VIS. Well, I think that's sort of still a remnant of um, my time as a law student because I back then did the VIS, but already did a public law specialization. And I have so much fun with both things that I can't really decide which I like better. So I'm quite glad that I actually have the opportunity to sort of follow both of my passions and work in the VIS and coach a VIS team while still working in public law. So, um, and that's one of the things I like about the VIS that it's really open to everybody and whatever background you have it can be proper uh, public international law, it can be somebody like me that's working somewhere completely unrelated, or you have people who, are, who live in brief arbitration. So that's always a really inspiring community as well then. Oh, sure, that makes that makes sense. Um, and I think that's how a lot of folks get involved is maybe um, before they did the VIS, they'd never even had an idea of what commercial arbitration or the CISG even was. And this is kind of a, of a gateway drug into arbitration. Um, okay, well then I guess I leave the question to, uh, and maybe this time we'll start with Magnetti. Um, how did you hear about this world of commercial arbitration in the VIS and how did you get involved? Actually, I think there's a lot of coincidences also playing into that. I was always uh, in love with debating. So I did debating in high school. And that's why I was thinking about competing in some sort of yeah law debate or mood court were from the get go and starting law school. But I didn't 
really focused on the vis or didn't have any idea on what mood it would eventually be then. And then I was informing myself a little bit more and me and Yunus were both in the focus for international dispute resolution and trade. So the vis was sort of more than with Chris, it was topic related and I had the feeling that it would be a good different perspective on the same field of law that I was already studying more intensively in my third year. And I think also part of it was that I really loved the international spirit of the mood and specifically the opportunity to maybe even travel to Vienna or Hong Kong and, and see other moodies from around the world and, and participate in some cross exchange um, of mooding experience. However, this was obviously not the case this year, but I'm really hoping that maybe in the future as a coach or just as another ex-Moody supporting our team in the next year, we maybe have the chance to get to some pre-moods or to Vienna and, and meet other Moody's. And I think the this organizers and also for the pre-moods for the most part did a lot of effort in getting this exchange across even in a virtual world and a virtual setup. So we had a lot of cooking events and cocktail events and and opportunities to mingle with Moody's from all over the world, despite not meeting them in person. So I think part of what I was hoping for with the VIS really came true despite the circumstances. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think that that is one of the, the major things that's felt just sort of missing last year and then this season as well, is just the ability to be in Vienna or be in Hong Kong. I mean, I like to think of the VIS as like the International uh, Arbitration Olympics, so to speak. And, you know, everyone's kind of in one place. You have like the little villages and contingencies of people coming together. So I think that sort of international spirit is uh, is exactly what everyone is craving for in 2022. Um, okay, so then turning to you, Jonas, you, your story. I mean, what were you just, did you see a flyer? Did you get invited to, um, to attend an interest meeting? I mean, how did you stumble upon the VIS? Well, I guess my story is also a bit similar to Mangeli's and it also ties back to my high school. So back then I used to play the piano quite a lot and I enjoyed presenting myself on a stage. And when I enrolled into law school, I had many books to look at and many texts to study, but I couldn't really speak freely and kind of um, well interact with people and have sort of an audience. So I looked into, um, into MUN, first of all, Model United Nations, and I participated in a couple of those and also coached a team. And then I saw um, the Bismut opportunity and because it was linked to my focus with um, the same Mahidi does, international commercial arbitration, um, I thought it would be great to uh, capitalize on that and com combine those two things. So I enrolled into the Bismut and I enjoyed it ever since. It was a great experience. Okay, so a background as a performer. I mean, you saw yourself on stage when, as it would turn out to be a fulfilling prophecy, you know, giving a statement, you know, giving a, a performance. Is that kind of what it was? Yes, perhaps even a bit. Um, it was difficult, of course, this year to pursue this path because everything was virtually and we had to present ourselves through a small camera and convey and deliver emotions, content and passion for what we we're saying through this little technical equipment piece. But still, um, that was a great challenge we, I hope, tackled in the end, which also made us grow and learn a number of things with this project we didn't even hope to learn in the beginning. So that was a great benefit, I think, in the end, and I very much enjoyed that part. Sure. And, and staying right there with you, Jonas, um, I guess, you know, you think about the, the Vismut experience and it takes you from, I mean, we say October, that's when the problem is released, but really, frankly, a couple of months before that, all the way through um, just about a month ago, which ends up being six months or so, almost of time and effort and, and a lot of sweat. Um, what are some of the moments that stuck with you from this past season? Well, um, I guess that's very difficult to answer because this entire season has been 
an enormous experience and I couldn't single out just a single moment, I guess. But I think what was really special is that within this corona pandemic, we formed a team and we had social contacts and experiences because throughout this entire time, we weren't just loosely stuck in our apartments and only contacted our friends once in a while via FaceTime or for a little walk in the park. But we were together united as a team and pursued this one project. So this really gave us kind of a context throughout this um, time. And um, I guess more social experience than many other people had. So having this group and being together through this time and then being fulfilled with such a great project has been a great relief and also um, well, a good balance for the corona pandemic, to be frank. Well, sure. No, that's interesting. Um, that, that idea of of preparation for the mood, sort of um, filling those needs that COVID was denying us otherwise, in terms of being able to that's regularly right. talk with people and have that sort of interaction. Um, same question for you, Minyeti. What are some of the moments, I mean, not any necessarily one particular moment, but what are some of the uh, things or memories that stick out in your mind from this season? I think actually there are certain moments that I really, really enjoyed and that were very special and also tied sort of to the corona situation. I think I remember one of the things was that in a normal VIS setting, it's always very important to have teamwork and to work together with the record and help each other out during the pleading. And for Jonas and me, the first phase of preparing for the orals and the first primus were always held, each one of us stuck in our own flat. So we didn't have the chance to practice that. And then shortly before the mood, we were trying to have the pre-moods in pairs of two. So then I would get to Jonas' apartment, for example, and we would have a video set up there. And it was very enjoyable to see him and work with him together, despite it also being difficult in the first place, because we hadn't had the experience to do it together for a few months. And everybody had their own tactic with scrolling through the bundle and getting your papers and writing down things. And now we were suddenly stuck in two and each of one each one of us was trying to help the other person, but sometimes it was more of like a distraction because we weren't used to sitting together. But that was really enjoyable. And I really enjoyed that when the mood came close that we actually did have some team experience. We created a team dance that we always practiced before the, the individual pleading sessions and actually included certain moves that we learned from like a rhetorical training that we had at the beginning of the oral phase that were like gesturing towards your co-counsel or gesturing towards the bundle. and all of these moves were included into a great dance to one of my favorite songs from Beyonce. So I think overall a great experience with a lot of memorable moments, even despite the whole situation. And maybe also because of that, yeah. Which Beyonce song? It was Crazy in Love. I hope you like it just as much as I do. <laughs> Good old classic. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's great. Uh, is there a video? I mean, where, where can we find this, uh, this dance? <laughs> I think this will be forever in the memory lane of this year's Bismu team. Maybe next year in Vienna, there'll be a chance to perform. <laughs> okay, so redacted. Okay, I got it. Con marked as confidential. Understood. Um, so, uh, no, no, thank you for that. Um, I, I think that's a great, um, those are some wonderful memory memories, it sounds like, and it sounds like uh, your team had some really good opportunities to do some team bonding. Christoph, this question is for you, for the, um, I guess, the, the coach perspective, and it's a little bit of a compound question. Um, when you're getting ready for the season, and um, especially you having had the benefit of having been a Moody in the past, um, what are some of the things that are going through your mind then, but also as you're going through the process and watching them learn and get ready, but also come up with TikTok dances and all that sort of stuff? 
Well, when we first started the selection process, we still had the vague, maybe overly optimistic hope that maybe the spring things could uh, happen in person, that we could go to Vienna, go to Hong Kong, go to Primus, but those hopes were quickly uh, broken in front of our noses, so to speak. Um, but we then sort of had to just regroup and uh, accept the situation, make the best out of it. And also we always communicated with uh, the Moody's what the situation was, that we would sort of try to make possible as much as there could be. And I think we did that. So there was always a bit of expectation management involved. Um, and as time went on, and I, I knew it uh, from when I was a Moody myself, I could figure it out then that there were things where coaches aren't too happy. And I knew it from my first time coaching the year before. It's always on the one hand, great to see the Moody's grow. And I don't know whether they did it, but before they had their first proper pleading, I told them to record it and to listen to it after their last thing to just see how much better they have gotten because um, I think we just started with the pleadings at the beginning of February or something and I think the finale was on the 3rd of April so that was eight weeks of working with them on their pleading and the difference is tremendous um, and it's amazing to see them grow in the, such a short time and on the other hand you have those moments where you as a coach where it's actually not bad for the Moody's that it's virtual because you can't just jump over the table and so it'd be like ah especially if there's things you've been talking to them that they've been doing wrong in literally every pleading. Um, and every feedback is the same, that there's one or two things they shouldn't do. Um, but that's part of the process. That's part of the game. And um, sometimes they get it out. Sometimes they don't. And so you're still sitting there watching a finale. And it's uh, always a bit between. It's fun and it's a bit annoying. But um, I reckon everybody who's been on either side of the coach, Muti, um, I wouldn't call it divide, but uh, I think it's clear what I mean, um, knows that feeling when the same things happen over and over again. But it, it was a great time. So, and, it, and they did. Yeah, I think that last point, especially Christoph, um, I coached a team this year, and it was the first uh, team from this school. And there were t definitely moments during pre-moots or during the actual rounds when they know, I mean, they have almost got a recording of me saying, hey, don't make this argument. Hey, don't say that. <laughs> and then the arbitrator picks up and I'm just kind of, you know, staring, staring, staring daggers. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a, uh, every coach I'm sure has a moment like that. <laughs> In fact, at the very end of our mooting experience, we had this big whiteboard next to our camera set up with three words on it, smile, slow, and case law. So those three yeah. key things to remember during our pleadings. Smile, slow, and case law. That's that's, that's right. a good one. We might we might have to adopt that one for for next season. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and this one is uh, I'm glad you chimed in, Jonas. Um, this one is actually for anyone that wants to take it. But I'm curious when it comes to pre-moots, one-on-one practices with other universities. Do you love them? Hate them? Is there a preference, or is it somewhere in between? I don't really know. I think I loved all of them. For the pre-moots, I would say the overall atmosphere was a bit closer to the actual mood. So it was good practicing, for example, the feeling of having multiple pleadings in a day and only having a few minutes or maybe half an hour to switch between claim and net respond and then not get mixed up. I think that was a big challenge for me in the beginning. So I think for that part of the practice, definitely amazing. But I think specifically in a virtual setup, there's a lot more of opportunity to meet with universities in a one-on-one -on -one pleading that you would have never met if it were in person, because if all the primates are in person, why would you then try to set up a Zoom and have another virtual pleading that is not really 
what you're practicing for in the actual moods. Whereas in this season, we had the opportunity to meet with great universities from all over the world and get to know people from completely different legal systems, which was a very good practice for the mood as well. So I think I think the perfect way would be to have both a little bit of pre-moods and a little bit of one-on-one -on -one pleading with great universities. I mean, obviously in the pre-moods, there's also great universities, but the mix of both formats is, is great in my view, I think. I completely agree with Mangetti. And I think that, um, well, basically any kind of opportunity to present your arguments is worth gold. Because in the mood, after all, of course, you take lots of time to reflect upon your arguments, to work on the structure, on the presentation. But when it really gets stressful is when the tribunal sits in front of you and asks you questions and um, triggers you and forces you to be spontaneous. And I think to, to train those kinds of things, you really need teams and um, tribunals in front of you to, to teach you those things and to, to train with you. So any kind of presentation, is it a pre-mood or, or um, is it or let it be something else it's great sorry i got tangled up a bit in the end there <laughs> no i i think that's fair i think that's fair um okay and we'll, we'll stay with um with the student perspective to some extent on this next one too and but then i do also if christoph if you want to add in on at the end that would be helpful too um take us back to to digital vienna and what is going through your minds in the opening rounds in the elimination rounds um, I would love to hear that. And as the bonus point of that, did you feel like you won each round? I don't know, Jonas, maybe you want to add something to that. But I think the experience got more tense and more interesting, but also more great throughout the whole process. I remember exactly the the last night before Vienna started, there was this opening ceremony. And then there was like a wonder room where you could meet up with other Moody's before. And you had the experience of meeting other people and everybody was super excited. and then. I think for the general round, for me, one of the biggest challenges was even staying in this competition mode because you only had one pleading a day. And for us, specifically with Vienna time and no time difference, it was very comfortable. We always had the pleading at like 10.30 in the morning. And then by like two o'clock midday, you were basically finished for the day. And the weeks before were a lot more intense preparations and never just one pleading a day. And this way, we only had the opportunity to maybe get in the mood of the respective other side, like claimant or respondent for the next day, and then just go home, relax a little bit and try to stay in competition mode, which was sort of weird because we, I mean, I went home to my apartment and then, I don't know, did some laundry, did some random stuff that you would definitely not do if you were in Vienna in person. But I think for the, for the elimination rounds, it got a lot more tense and a lot more like a real competition and you got more excited throughout the day. And I think they created a lot of atmosphere also with these live announcements where they were even flipping the coins like they would in actual Vienna. So I think that was amazing and really got me into the atmosphere. And we had the opportunity to present our arguments in law school and have a technical setup there. And obviously our school is very empty right now, but some people were on campus outside or getting stuff from the library. And it was refreshing to maybe like have a walk around campus in between the pleadings and have the feeling that there is also like a law school community that is supporting you in the background. That was a really nice experience. And with regard to winning each and every round, I think I definitely didn't have the feeling. I think some rounds you had the feeling were more clear, you were a little more confident. And with some, you really had the feeling it could go either way and we would be fine with both. So I think there's also a good bit of luck involved and we were very lucky this year, but it was great experience overall. 
Well, sure. And, and sorry, I should have asked this earlier. So I know that that the team is structured with three coaches. How many students are on the team? So we were in four, but it was only Jonas and me for Vienna, and then Stella Bestenhoff and Giovanna Zitz for Hong Kong. So we were always in the same pairings for each competition and stayed only within that pairing. And for the four coaches, it was actually for us very convenient because we always had like one-on-one -on -one support by a coach. So that was a very comfortable and luxurious situation, obviously. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, same question. And actually, before we get to you, Jonas, I, I want to give you the opportunity to give that. Christoph, I mean, I want to hear from the coach's perspective. I mean, you're watching, you know, your students, your, you know, your soldiers. You've been preparing for the last six months to go through. I mean, take us through the play-by-play. The so do you mean for the selection process or when we're then sitting in Vienna in the elimination round when we're going into battle to take over your speech? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. When you're uh, when you're at, in Vienna, tell us all okay. about that. What are you feeling? What's going through your mind? Uh, so, so one of the main things is just uh, keeping them calm. They've been studying that case for six months. They know every page. They know every line. They know every comma. Um, and they know what they have to do. They know they can't do it. So you have to, on the one hand, tell them that, but then you also have to calm them down. And um, so what we had as a bit of a funny experience was that both Mangedi and Jonas, um, or like everybody uses music to sort of get themselves into a certain mood. And we all have our music that um, we sort of have um, listening that gets us into that mood. And for Mangedi, that was also already clear earlier, uh, it's Beyonce. So it's, uh, let's say, more uh, contemporary music. And Jonas already referred to his time in the conservatory. Um, so we were always switching on YouTube, which now thinks we're likely schizophrenic, between Beyonce and some random violin piano concertos. Uh, and so but we were like, whatever floats your boat, like we'll listen to all of it. And also like the team song we had as well was um, for all German-speaking listeners out there, Cordula Grün, which is an Oktoberfest song. So um, that was also great fun. So before depleting, it's just sort of make them happy, make them feel comfortable, make them feel energetic. And then during depleting, it's just uh, pray that they don't uh, that they do what they can do. And um, we were always sitting in different rooms due to Corona restrictions, and you're just sitting there. It's not it's not even that far. It's like 20 meters, and you're just sitting there, nail scratching, hoping that um, they can sort of. In Germany, we have to say DPS of the of the Straße kriegen sort of. And so, yeah. And in the end, it's just um, them sort of performing what we have prepared with them for the past uh, months. And yeah, but even if it doesn't happen, the pleadings itself, in my view, are only sort of the cherry on top of the big this cake. You, of course, have like a base layer of um, getting to know arbitration and getting to know the case and learning some pleading skills. But even like in my view, and that's maybe a bit less in virtual times, but the personal connections and friendships you make um, are the even more important thing. And then, of course, you have the competition in the end, and that's important, and it's a lot of fun, and it's even more fun if you do well. But I would really say that's a cherry on top, and that was always something we always tried um, to convey to the Moody's that we want them to do good because they can do good, but... No, that, that that's great, and that, that, that's well said. Okay, Jonas, you can tell us. Did you guys think you won every round? Well, um, I guess without confidence, you can't really make it to the final. So I would say yes, of course. <laughs> but no, um, there was much luck involved and um, we had some of it, I guess. 
but we also did a good job and we were a nice team. My co-counsel and I, uh, I enjoyed this time so much. Yes, but I completely agree with what Manieri said. Um, the competition has been an enormous experience. And of course, the general rounds were a bit more relaxed because we only had this one pleading a day and could take some time off in the afternoon, prepare for the next day. And then it really got difficult in the elimination rounds when we when we had to be there the entire day. And I guess the challenging thing was not to know whether you would proceed. You would give a pleading, and in the end, you would not know whether you could actually relax and take a break or whether you would have to prepare for the next round, which might still be coming. So you had this stress going on and on again. And um, yes, I think on the Wednesday, the round before the final finals, um, it went on for the entire day for us. So um, we really couldn't take a break um, in between and just relax for a moment. But of course, in the end, on Thursday, when we heard the final results, it was just an enormous pleasure and honor for us to emerge as the winners from the VISP mood. And we also met so many wonderful and great teams from all over the world. And even the team from the Singapore Management University, we met them twice in the finals and also during the general rounds. And um, yes, those, those meets um, have been also a wonderful opportunity. And I really hope to, to see those people in person in Vienna um, next year or anywhere else in the world and get to build on those relationships and um, develop the friendships there. Well, sure. And this is the final question that I have for the moot, um, moot related things. How does it feel to win? I mean, I, I, I want to know that. I mean, you know, you're sitting there, all this tension, six months worth of buildup. What does it feel like to win? I think it was just very difficult to grasp for us at the very first moment. Um, of course, our lost class already participated in the moot and they have also emerged quite successfully a number of times. But this year was overall special, of course, and it really took us some time taking into account all the effort we put in and how tired we were to realize what just happened in those final rounds. But once we did that and we really realized what happened, it was a wonderful experience. And yes, I'm so lucky to be able to start into the world of arbitration with um, with winning this moot. And um, yes. It's quite a thing to put on your resume, huh? <laughs> For sure. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with Jonas. I think at first it was very difficult to grasp. I think I think the minute we, we realized it or we, we got the results, I think the first thing I did was like cry and be super, I don't know, shocked. <laughs> but then it took me a few days to like realize it. And at some point I'm thinking I still haven't realized it quite yet. Um, but I do agree with Jonas. I think it's just an amazing feeling and I was really surprised and that is also I think sort of an advantage of the virtual setup um, how many people actually watch the final because obviously it's, it's transferred live and a lot of friends from law school obviously my parents my boyfriend all of them watch the final and then even like relatives I don't know my grandma um, got shown the YouTube video afterwards and she obviously has nothing to do with arbitration and isn't too fluent in English so that was I don't know I think she didn't get a lot of the content but the whole atmosphere and just the fact that we were in the finale was also great and I think that was a really great feeling specifically having all people from law school and elsewhere support you and be there for you and I think sometimes moodies can be a lot of stress during these months before the mood and in the month of preparation because it's always a lot of stuff to do and people from your environment always have to like be understanding and 
get that you it's like the third time of the week that you're at another pleading and can't meet them and can't have time for friends and family and it's always a bit stressful for other people as well and sometimes you just have to like share the load of being excited or not knowing how it's going to go or having the stress of the memorandums having to be written and all of that stuff so I think it was very rewarding to see that that all the people that supported you throughout the journey were also there in those great moments. I think that was a very nice feeling for me. No, that's great. I mean, that, that, that you know, I had never thought about that. I mean, family members and grandparents, you know, saying, I, I don't know what they're talking about, but they're arguing. They're doing a good job. That, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and finally, for you, Christoph, I mean, was there, uh, did they sneak up behind you with uh, the Gatorade bath? Or, I mean, you know, what happened uh, <laughs> in the final, in this moment? <laughs> So I think if um, they had snuck up with Gatorade, our uh, facility management would still be up there. Uh, but to this day, because the entire room would probably still be sticky. So we're kind of glad that didn't happen. Um, it was an amazing moment we actually had um, because so always when the announcements of the other knockout rounds came, um, we would just sort of when as we went on, we would be shouting quite loudly, one could say. So everybody who was at law school sort of always knew that we went on. Um, and actually one of a friend of mine who also works at law school, um, he was there that day and he, he knew that the final was just over and that the announcement was about to begin. And he was filming the space where we had gathered outside and he actually made a video when we had the announcement. And so sort of we have the moment on video uh, when we realize or when we hear that we're winning or that we have won. I'll treasure for a longer time. So that was amazing. It was obviously hard to fathom that we did win this thing. And then they announced that the winner is Buterios Law School. So that's, it was hard to grasp, but it's, it was obviously an amazing feeling. We were immensely proud of Jonas and Manjevi. And also one I think can say, happy that also our the coaches work had paid off because we did invest some time as well so um, it was just overall an amazing experience um, so uh, yeah tremendous tremendous feeling that's probably the shortest way to put it no that, that that's that's great that's well said and I must say for all you listeners at home I mean you know they all three of these uh, all three of them are so humble they're just kind of matter-of-factly telling us about this great moment so it, it's, it's really cool to kind of hear what it's like firsthand um, okay, forget about the this for this moment. We're going to take a step back away from that. Um, and this is for anyone that wants to, uh, to take, it, take this question. What are you reading right now? I mean, the moot's over, summer's coming. What's on your shelf? What kind of books are you reading right now? I think my taste in books is not too exquisite, so don't hope for too much. I'm right now reading a good John Le Carré uh, criminal literature that I'm really enjoying. And there's also so a U.S. Um, travel guide on my shelf actually right now because I'm hoping, let's knock on wood for that as well, um, that we'll be able to have our semester abroad in the upcoming fall. And my destination would have been Boulder in Colorado. So I'm looking really forward to that. And I'm so optimistic. And yes, yeah, so I'm reading John Le Carré and or travel guides for the U.S. right now. Something not at all visa arbitration related. Fair enough. And Jonas Kristoff, any interesting books on your shelf? right now well to be quite honest um i think i had to take a break from, from reading for a couple of time now because there was just so much to go on and we have final exams coming up so again more to read and i am um, i'm guilty i turned to netflix and i began with suits so um that's there for now but um also more reading to do for the final exam so lots of literature on commercial arbitration i guess international commercial trade and those kinds of things. 
and then the big books to come well, afterwards. Well, that, that's a good segue. I mean, you're talking about Netflix. So you're watching Suits. I mean, and you know, you're what, what you're waiting for the Harvey Specter goes to the this episode, or I mean, how are you enjoying it? <laughs> I only moved to the third episode so far, but um, of course, it's great to see how yes, how many things you would imagine in your mind how a real life work experience might look like somehow turn into a series, into a TV show. And um, it makes you very keen to actually maybe emerge into this sort of um, area someday and be able to practice there. So kind of, um, yes, kind of a little treat and a name for me to um, keep on studying and emerge there someday. Sure. And Christoph, we've heard the musical selections of uh, Jonas and Mignetti. What, what about you? What kind of music are you into? Oh, um, that's a wide range. So it always depends on what I'm doing. So uh, it can be from when I'm just listening, sitting at home. It's just like charts or jazz or something smooth or just even or on the other hand, when I'm running, working out on my bike, um, it can be everything from Queen or Schlagermusik, the Oktoberfest stuff to uh, German rap sometimes. So it's just uh, the whole bandwidth of music. Um, so I think if somebody saw my playlist, they would be like, what kind of person is he? That can't really be uh, sort of narrowed down. So there, there's a bit of everything really here. Um, and Jonas, if yeah. you're thinking that suits, it's like real life. Uh, nah, nah, that's not happening. So like, <laughs> don't burst my bubble yet, Chris. <laughs> no, that, that that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, okay, well, as we wrap up here, um, I'm curious to know from each of you, um, what, what, what comes next? I mean, Magnetti, you kind of referenced it a little bit, but... Um, what are your future plans, um, you know, post-Vis, once you get back from Disney World? I mean, what's the next thing? You're completely right. It's been hard to get back from Disney World. I think for Jonas and me, we had to sort of jump into real world again as we had to write our bachelor thesis in the last four weeks. So we we submitted that on Monday, and now we're really glad that this part is over. And as Jonas already referenced it, we'll have final exams to focus in July and then hopefully a little bit of a break in our semester abroad. And I think looking at the long-term perspective, for me, I really do not have any plans despite finishing law school and then looking what comes afterwards. I think I'm hoping that that my plans will become a little more concrete and focused in the years to come. But obviously law school is a long journey and there's still some time to think about what to do afterwards. But I could definitely see myself in the field of arbitration on the long, or on the long run. So we'll see how everything goes. Sure. And Jonas? I completely agree with Mangidi. Um, yes, of course, the long-term uh, aim is to finish our studies and to graduate successfully from law school. But I think one thing I would definitely take away from the Bismut as a student is that, especially in a, um, in a law school system, such as in Germany, where everything is very theoretical and based on lectures and well, not very connected to the practice world out there, I would always suggest, and for me personally, look out to find a link to that practice world and to gain some experience because it really motivates you and gives you a little bit of what you might have in the end when you graduate. Um, so I'm trying to find a job maybe in the field of arbitration right now and um, to have something little else to do on the side of studying and reading the books. Sure thing. And Christoph, how about you? What comes next? Well, first finishing my thesis, then the second state exam, and then I'll see where it takes me, whether it's going to be arbitration, whether it's going to be public law, whether it's going to be something different. Um, but I'll see there. And I think to Jonas and Mangidi, I can say, 
the, the fastest way to get a ticket back to Disney World is to work at law school between the first, after the first and second state exam and also coach a Vismo team. Um, just to be on the other side of the table as well. And I think um, the professors who are in charge of uh, it at Buceros, the chances that they will remember that uh, when you come to the, knocking to the door, oh, maybe I would like to coach the Vismo what about it? The chances of you getting a ticket back to Disney World and um, getting back into the this um, should be decent, uh, fairly decent, as one of our other coaches uh, would put it. Um, so, and I highly suggest that everybody either buys their first admission and takes a ride on the roller coaster that is the this, or um, does try to get readmission into this fun park. Um, so, it because it's the ride of your life if one stays with this. Well said. I can only agree. <laughs> no, that's that's fair enough. Any final words, thoughts, or anything else you'd like to say to the folks listening at home before uh, before we sign off? I guess um, one thing that came to my mind a couple of times is that I'm just very humbled that despite a major pandemic going on, we were lucky enough to participate in a competition of this size and to cross borders and meet teams from all over the world. Um, even though it was virtual, it has been a great um, ray of hope at this times. And I'm very looking forward to to the um, analog Vienna, basically, and to um, I guess connecting with the people we met so far. I completely agree. I think one thing you could add is that for everybody who's thinking about applying for the VIS and who's not sure whether it will be a great experience, it certainly is. And you should use every opportunity you get and try to apply for it. It's completely worth it. As as Chris put it, it's it's a great roller coaster. Definitely. Even taking, or especially taking into account that those statements came from two people who, unfortunately, didn't have the chance to get to experience the social part of this. This, which is uh, at least equally as much fun as the pleading part. And so, um, as things get better in the future, hopefully, uh, just just do it. So uh, it's the best decision you'll pretty much ever make. So I can only. So just to everybody, grasp the chance if you have it and then go out and enjoy and Well said. Well, as I knew it would happen, um, we are already at the end of the time that we have together. Um, I thank each of you for stopping by. Uh, do you want to sign us off? Sure, Chris. I'm Jonas Klein, and there is no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. I'm Ngidi. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. I'm Christoph, and there is no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank you so much. And don't touch that dial. Hang around for the next segment where we will be talking with with the coaches from Fordham Law School. We'll see you in just a moment. Hey, listeners, come here quick. Do you know about my arbitration? Not my arbitration. My Arbitration. It's an online show hosted by Victoria Pert. She has a bite-sized conversation with people from across the field. And get this, you know how TOT is an audio-only experience? Victoria goes deep and has video as well. She's had conversations with some names that you'll know and recognize. Katherine Rogers, Karina Baltag, Shean Bao, Mandy Lee, Shvinya Wachtel, and plenty more. Check it out at My Arbitration on LinkedIn. The next episode, like the one you're listening to now, focuses on the this moot. You won't want to miss it. And don't forget to like and follow the page on LinkedIn. That's My Arbitration with Victoria Pernt. Okay, back to the show.
Welcome back, listeners. And just like we did in the first half of the show, we're going to continue our conversation about the VIS moot with some of the participants of the VIS moot. And in particular, we're not talking with just any VIS participants today, as you, again, may have heard in the first segment, the person or the people that we are talking with, in fact, represent one of the victorious teams in one of the VIS family of competitions. I'm speaking with Mr. David Gallo and Ms. Ellen Louise Mullins, who are coaches at Fordham Law. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Glad to have you here. And Ellen Louise, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Happy to be here. Fantastic. And as we do with all of our guests here on Tales of the Tribunal, let's start with the questions that everyone wants to know. And this one will come to you first, Ellen Louise. Who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know? Well, Chris, um, my name is Ellen Louise, and I am a Belgian-American international arbitration lawyer. I grew up uh, in Europe uh, in a bunch of different countries. Uh, lived in, in Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, England, uh, and then I moved to the U.S. when I was uh, about 14. Went to high school here. And then I studied at uh, Georgetown University, where I uh, was very, very interested in international law. Um, I went to law school in England, qualified as a solicitor in England and worked for a big law firm there called Herbert Smith Freehills. And then um, was very interested in international arbitration. And so I decided to do uh, an LLM at Columbia Law uh, in arbitration, which is actually where I met uh, Dave who is the, the fellow coach for Fordham Law. And after that, I focused my entire career on international arbitration, and uh, that was about six years ago. So since then, I've worked in, uh, in uh, several law firms in, in, in Paris. So I went to Paris. I worked at uh, White and & Case and uh, Terrain Saint-Garavi, that are both uh, just purely you know, focused on arbitration. And uh, then I came back uh, to New York to join a boutique firm, which is where I am now, called Walsh Guevara. We focus primarily on uh, commercial uh, arbitration, whereas in Paris I was doing a lot more investment arbitration. I ran into Dave very serendipitously a couple of years ago at my swearing into the New York bar ceremony, and we had been good friends and, and colleagues at Columbia Law, and we had taken a couple of classes together that were arbitration focused or at least international dispute resolution focused. And Dave uh, was teaching at Fordham Law and asked me to come in and give a guest lecture. Um, so I did that and it went very well. From then on, we sort of started collaborating and, and working together. And last year, I sort of, in a more official capacity, joined Dave in teaching the the viz class at fordham that's sort of how i ended up here yeah so i'm very happy to be here today and um thank you very much for having both of us well sure and thanks for that that background that was a really good sort of um you know walk through to one who you are how you got interested in international arbitration and even how you ended up um working alongside dave here um the question i would have is that you know so so dave is sort of uh, invited you and talked you into to teaching and getting involved with the university. Uh, the, the nexus point was it 
where, where did the conversation come from in getting you involved with the VIS? Was it something that you were just aware of in the ether or was it a suggestion of Dave's or how did that happen? Dave was teaching the class, the International Arbitration Seminar class, which, which really is geared specifically towards preparing the students for the VIS competition. And so oh, when okay. I went in, I, I sort of gave a lecture on one of the issues that had come up that year, which was a, about the seat of the arbitration and the applicable law and things like this. And, um, you know, this year, we, when I sort of joined in, an, in a more official capacity, our basically entire year is focused on preparing the students for the FIS competition. Um, and so the involvement, the nexus really was Dave, but obviously it was in his capacity in, in teaching this class, which um, is geared specifically towards Viz. Got it. Origin story um, started with Dave. That was the sort of entry point and um, the rest is history. And we'll dig into that in just a moment. OK, so Dave, turning to you then, um, tell us your tell us your origin story. I mean, how did how did that uh, all come to be for you? Sure. So um, yeah, I'm Dave Gallo, and uh, I'm a commercial litigator here in Atlanta, Georgia now. And um, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. And after high school, bounced around to a few different colleges, took a bunch of years off to play music, and then ultimately ended up graduating from the University of Florida. And I'd always been interested in law school, always been interested in um, in the law, and so I uh, attended Columbia University. And uh, in my first year, in my first semester, um, I tried out for the Viz team. Columbia is one of the, I think, one of the few teams in the world where they get uh, first-year law students involved. But um, but I I joined the team in my first semester, and I've been hooked for the last ten years and ended up taking more coursework in international arbitration than I probably otherwise would have, meeting people like Ellen Louise, taking courses with just phenomenal uh, arbitration practitioners at Columbia. Um, and then after law school, I joined uh, Simpson Thatcher, where I'd say about 25% of my work was international arbitration. And uh, spent a few years there. And um, I think in my second year at Simpson Thatcher, I, I had been out of the Viz game for a year and I was really missing it. So I started doing some homework about schools in the New York area that might um, might be willing to, uh, you know, allow me to participate in their program in some way. And um, Fordham seemed to be the best fit after talking to some folks there and the, the Viz course was taught by uh, Nancy Thevenin at the time, wonderful woman who uh, brought me on sort of to help her. And then after a year of that, um, recommended that the administration uh, let me take over and they and they were kind enough to do so. Uh, and that was about four, four years ago. And um, in that time, I clerked at the U.S. Court of International Trade, practiced law for a few years at uh, Freed Frank, doing a similar mix of civil litigation and international arbitration. And then in the last uh, six months or so, I moved to Atlanta to um, to just spread out with my wife and my daughters and uh, have a little more space and um, and we're loving it down here. And and so this last year of, uh, of Viz at Fordham uh, was all remote and I did most of it from Atlanta. And 
it worked out really well. Wow. Yeah. No, again, that's quite the story. And I mean, you've even uh, you, you crossed paths with another former guest of the show, Nancy Thevenin. I mean, that's a small world sort of stuff there. And, the international um, arbitration, the international arbitration world seems to be uh, quite a small world in, in the best way. That's absolutely right. OK, no, th and that's a um, let's let's focus and let's talk a little bit about this last um, as, as Dave, as you just pointed out, um, it was uh, all remote, all virtual, something that was a challenge for teams the world over. And, you know, that presented a, a number of challenges, I, I'm sure. I guess the first question I have, and maybe it's a compound question, it's definitely one, in fact, um, when you're getting ready for the season, what is what is the thought process that you're kind of going through? Um, and I guess the, the compound part of that is, how does that change from the beginning preseason into coaching the students in real time during the season itself? Yeah, so, you know, I think um, every year that I've been involved on the coaching side of Viz, I've, yeah, so, you know, I think um, every year that I've been involved on the coaching side of Viz, I've uh, I've tried to remain flexible and stress to the students that we need to be flexible, that we need to to be to try to improve upon what we did the previous year and learn from our mistakes the previous year. So I think that's the main mindset uh, going into the season and getting to know the students and their strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, soon, pretty soon as the semester starts in the fall, we get the problem and we, it really feels, even though it's a four, four month period between then and, uh, and oral arguments, it really feels like it, you're just kind of uh, treading water sometimes, getting the briefs out, refining the arguments, but it's it's so much fun. And I think it's it's just always stunning to see it come together. You put in the hours, you put in the work, and then it's it's just amazing how much progress happens, uh, you know, in the run up to to the competition. Yeah, just to follow up on that, Chris, one thing that that I that I really noticed this year being the first year that I was fully involved was the there's a significant sort of difference between the first semester and the second semester. So if we are going to break it up into a preseason and then the season, the first semester, there's a little bit of, you know, just general preparing them like what what is arbitration? What is this? What is that? They they get a they get a ton of information. What's the CISG? All these sort of all this sort of background information that that's really relevant will become very relevant uh, for when the problem is released. But um, it seems like it doesn't really come together until sort of the problem is released and then you hit the ground running um, semester two. And then from from sort of January until oral arguments, it is just all hands on deck. And you just notice that every not even every week, every day, the students are more engaged. Everyone, everyone gets into it. It just it, it turns into this incredible, energetic, just all hands on deck uh, situation. And, and it really is a, it, it really is so much fun and and so intense and it's 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 like running a marathon but honestly it's it's a it's a great experience well sure and so ellen louise dave just told us a very calm and sort of oh well we we organize this and you know we kind of just deal through this process this way and that way is it really that calm i mean you know you talked you talked about the the sort of fun and intensity i mean tell us more about that what are some of the moments that, that stuck with you from this past season well obviously the fact that it was virtual you know was 
a little bit of a interesting was interesting when it came to the to the competition uh in in hong kong right because we were we were on hong kong time there were teams from europe there are teams from the us so we would have to find these crazy times that would work for everyone so my when i'm talking about intensity i'm really thinking about um you know that sort of week when we were competing and we were waking up at sort of two you know getting up at like two in the morning and and you know preparing the students they would compete at like five in the morning things like this yeah that was it was very very intense i mean i've had some some hearings that are very intense in, in my life but this was this was up there with just yeah very energetic very fun and very uh very intense but wonderful experience sure and uh dave same question to you what are some of the the moments that stick with you um especially having the benefit of having been in uh previous se uh, seasons yeah so you know i you know thinking about previous seasons i coming into this season i definitely felt a sense of loss that you know we weren't weren't going to be in person in class in person in the pre-moods and then in person in in vienna or hong kong but as ellen louise said there was a there was an awesome intensity to the to the last maybe three to four weeks of the season, which you know encompassed both competing in Hong Kong, competing in Vienna, and and the preparation, which got to a point where we were really on Zoom with each other at all times uh, with the students and at very strange hours. And I, I actually there was parts of it that I think were more you know, more engaging and more intense than previous seasons because we just had that, we had the ability to jump on Zoom and say, hey, you know, I know we were supposed to meet at midnight to prep for this round in Viz East, but if everyone's around, let's just hop on at 1030 and we would kind of hang out and talk about issues, talk about arguments. But we also had our kids there and our friends and our, you know, loved ones. And it was just a, it was, it was so much better than I expected. And it, it obviously didn't hurt to for the team to do very well, and that I think added to so much of the excitement we were feeling. But um, even without that, I think it was it was just so much more. Sure, I mean, you, you talk about that final three to four weeks. I mean, would you say there was definitely sort of like a, a training montage sort of moment where you guys are kind of just getting there, getting done? Absolutely, and I and I give so much credit to the students who I think you know there's uh, certainly a, a bit of a meme that you know students try out for Viz because they want to travel to Europe or Asia. And these students, even without that opportunity, um, they they really flipped the switch and um, really dedicated, you know, every every waking minute to this in that last few weeks, which I think made all the difference. And, you know, it was, uh, I didn't hear a single complaint about the amount of time and, uh, and dedication that was required and, and that they put in. Yeah, just to follow up on that, um, Chris, uh, what Dave just said is 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 really the 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 fundamental uh, reason why our team won is that these students were 150% committed to uh, this competition, to the preparation, to the research, to being there for each other, to getting each other through it. I mean, it was in terms of teamwork just the most unbelievable display of dedication that I think I've ever seen uh, in my life. So um, it's a very, very important reason for why the team did so well. 
No, I, and I think that many of those listening, and I think a lot of the, especially the teams, the, the Moody's from this season, I think can all sort of resonate with that fact that it's just, uh, it's a unique sort of state that you find yourself when you're sitting at whatever hour of the morning or day when you haven't slept and you're trying to just, you know, figure these arguments out and get ready for the competition. Um, it sounds like y'all had a great time. The, the, the next thing that I, I would kind of ask about is, is, is maybe the period just before those final three to four weeks. And that is, well, maybe not just that period, but this section of time we talk about pre-moots and one-on-ones with other universities. What is your viewpoint on that, um, Ellen Louise? Uh, did you love those, hate those, somewhere in between? Did you have a preference for one or the other? Um, what, do you, what do you think about pre-moots or one-on-ones? Um, I think they're an invaluable part of, of the preparation. And um, I think that, you know, there's a big difference between what you're teaching them, um, you know, in the classroom. When so, you know, we get the problem. What Dave and I did was we sort of split up the procedural issues from the substantive issues, and we sort of, um, you know, Dave took one group and I took another group, and and you know, all of that stuff is 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 in the classroom. They're 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 learning, they're practicing. You know, we would have a lot of. Uh, practice rounds with them, um, you know, either together as an entire team, or I would take my my people and they would go and, and they would do the same. But once you're getting into these pre-moots and they're actually competing and uh, against other teams and they are give, being given feedback by the arbitrators, they're being asked difficult questions. Um, this really is where um, the real preparation comes in. And um, this really is where the students um, start to learn how to think on their feet. They start to understand that this is a competition that, you know, you can prepare for for hours and hours and hours. And then you get in and an arbitrator asks you a question that you've never even thought about. And a lot about a lot of this is sort of how do they respond to those difficult questions? How do they how do they adapt all of that? So no, I think the pre-moots are, are, are fantastic and a very important part of preparing the students um, for the real thing. Yeah. Well, sure. And I think uh, one, one of those things I'd love to follow up on, Ellen Luis, is that one of the last points that you just made, and that is teaching the students to sort of improv a bit and you know stay uh, light on their feet when dealing with uh, particular arbitrators. I mean, what are some of the ways that you uh, you have, I guess, taught your students to sort of develop that skill? Well, a lot of this is, is um, you know, their, their sort of personalities, um, you know, to begin with, you have, you have some students that are, that are a little bit more, just are more comfortable. You know, there are others that, that get a lot more nervous and you, you sort of figure that out very early on. But then, you know the the sort of across the board skills that 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 Dave and I would would teach them were you know when you get asked a difficult question and you have that moment of complete and utter fear in headlight panic which which you know <laughs> happens to absolutely every every student breathe don't respond right away take a second drink a sip of water put your hands down on the table, don't start, you know, go for it and, and answer. You know, I mean, ha- they know the the answers. I mean, these students prepared for hours and hours. I mean, their life, they were breathing and living this competition. They were breathing and living these issues. They knew the answers to, to you know, 99% of these questions. 
it's just you know the, this dealing with this sort of panic um, would be would be what we would focus on to to get them to just uh, remember that that they know what they're doing. That's what we taught them. Sure, Dave. Anything you want to add to that? No, I, th I think that's all right. And and um, you know, I love. It reminds me that I just love the performance aspect of Viz, and I think this translates to the real world too. That just you know reminding the students that you know the arbitrators don't know what your outline looks like, and so you know I think initially students get flustered by questioning from arbitrators because they think, well, I'm not going to have time to get to my fourth point and, and this and that. And just remembering that, you know, what you want is a 14 or 15 minute interaction with the panel that is enjoyable, is fun, is confident, and that you have to just roll with everything. And that that's much more important than, you know, the perfect case or getting to your whole outline or, um, rebutting every point that the other side made is just um, that, you know, not only is it good to uh, remain confident so that you can give the right answer, but just that that confidence in and of itself is points in this competition. And that appearance of confidence is so important. And uh, I think students really took that to heart. No, great points. Great points there. And, and staying right with you um, on this next one, Dave, um, but I also want to hear from Ellen and Luis on this. Dave, take us back to Digital Hong Kong. Um, I would love to hear, you know, what was going through your minds during the opening rounds, during the elimination rounds, um, and, and how you were feeling at those moments. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think we felt prepared um, going in. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I've coached for four years and, um, I think we always felt somewhat prepared and as a competitor uh, competing for two years for Columbia, you feel prepared, but then, uh, you know, things come your way and, you know, tribunals can be tough or throw you a curveball or, um, you know, other teams just perform better. And I think that, but there was a sense, I think, as we were watching the, the initial rounds, that we had a really good team and that they were really strong and that they were um, really executing at their own highest level, you know, as compared to their pre-moots and their internal rounds. Um, so that was really fun to watch. And but that doesn't change the fact that when they were announcing the, uh, you know, the, the teams that were going to go forward to the knockout rounds that, you know, just still just as nervous as every other year. I think we spent uh, two or three hours um, watching you, Chris, while we waited for that announcement. So uh, you were a calming voice during that time, but uh, um, but it was still nerve wracking, and um, and it was it was great to to hear that Fordham was going through. And then I think at that point, it's a different mentality. The general rounds, you need points, and you need arbitrators to know how to score, and you need some luck. But once you get to the knockout rounds, I think there's a sense of um, you know let's um, Let's out, you know, I, I don't want to make it seem too competitive, but, you know, let's let's make sure that we are we are the team of the two teams in this next round that um, just is having the most fun, is um, the most confident. And uh, I I've actually feel like we have a little bit more if a little bit more sense of control in the knockout rounds than the general rounds. And then it just went on from there and uh, doing well. And it was 
even with zero sleep, it was uh, it was absolutely exhilarating. Ellen Louise, how about yourself? What was your experience like? You know, I went in knowing that our students were incredibly well prepared and that they had had, you know, um, they had all the sort of foundation there to, to go and and we had a lot of confidence in in the students um, that that we that we put up and so you know there there was very little nerves for me around around that as we started going through the general rounds and sort of understanding the level at which uh, our students were performing and seeing how well they were doing and how they were just you know it would be you'd watch around and you'd see them just answer, you know, every challenging question perfectly and run with these curveballs. And they were just, they were just doing so well. So for me, there was a huge difference between, like Dave said, the general rounds and then the elimination rounds and sort of when we got to the, to the final heading, heading to the final, because in the, in, in the beginning, I, I knew we were very good, but I, I, you know, I sort of only realized once, once we uh, got to to the final rounds, and those final rounds were just extraordinary, and it was it was an unbelievable experience, and I, I really think what made us stand out in the end was, you know, I think we, like I said, all hands were 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 on deck. So just the students, even myself, the the two uh, the two other coaches that that were helping us, uh, Brennan and Tatum, we were going in and just dissecting every question, every argument, going through the record, looking for anything. We were all doing additional research to sort of just get us to um, you know get us to that to that last round and. I really think that that's what made the difference, and I really think that that's what enabled, you know, Ian uh, and Fallon to to win was was just the level of dedication of of everyone uh, who was involved. Sure, um, I know this is a loaded question. Do you think? Did you feel after every round that you would won the round? That that's an interesting uh, question. <laughs> It's it's kind of difficult to know because you you know you have your your sort sort of you know your hope and then you have your intuition and then you have the sort of reality and sometimes it's hard because all of those factors get very intertwined also because you're so invested in this that you know I think the hope factor uh, can 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 take over. Um, however, we, you know, Dave and myself and the two other coaches would sort of always have a follow up after each round and, you know, very frankly talk about how we think we did and, you know, whether we thought we beat the other team. And we were right, I'd say like 90, 99% of the time. So I do think that you leave each round with a, you know, with a sort of impression of, yeah, I think we got this one. Um, but then then you never know. You know, there's I think there's always one arbitrator who could have, you know, hated the sort of answer to that particular question. You know, so you don't know. But yeah, for us, I think we kind of Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we kind of we kind of knew at the end of each round that we had, you know, won. Yeah, I think the the. the... I mean, this is true for so many teams, even the teams that don't make it to the uh, playoff rounds. But especially when you get to the playoff rounds, the teams are just so good. And the teams we faced in Viz East in the playoff rounds were so good. 
And I'd say if I think if we did six or seven, you know, playoff rounds, including the final, there was one or two rounds, and I won't name the other school, where I thought if the if the arbitrators go with the other school, it would be very difficult for me to make an argument that uh, that they made the wrong choice. But if they go with Fordham, I certainly think that that will be defensible as well. Um, so you know, I think as Ellen Louise said, you have you have your biases, and we we love our students, and they were so fantastic. So there was never a time where I thought, oh wow, we really um, we really snuck through. But uh, but man, the other schools were just they were so good, and it, nothing would have surprised me um, for most of those rounds. Um, you know, hearing Fordham's name was um, a confirmation of how we felt, but also a, a wonderful surprise each time. Sure, sure. And, you know, there are just a couple more questions I want to ask about the uh, on the VIS um, itself. Um, and, and frankly, it's the elephant in the room about the VIS East this year. There was an anomaly that has not occurred, as far as I understand, previously um, in the VIS East. Um, Dave, especially having the sort of historical background uh, as a coach and, and from that perspective, what was going through your mind as they were trying to sort themselves through such a tense moment in the competition? And for, for context, I'm talking about the, the idea of making sure the right teams were in the in the field, in the pool. So I, I, I think any answer to that question has to start with an acknowledgement that the uh, organizers of both Viz East and Viz West just did such an incredible job with a very tough task. And um, they're doing a lot of tabulations and, and organizing on the fly. And as a team that, uh, if I remember right, as a team that was sort of in the final eight to then hear that we had to do, like redo another playoff round and it was disappointing, but but I also felt for the teams that had been initially excluded from the, the playoff bracket who deserved to be there. And so I, I didn't, um, I, I thought that they did the best they could do on the fly in terms of coming up with an alternative way of getting those, folding those teams back in. Um, you know, if you're one of the teams that at that juncture got knocked out, I'm sure that it it stung, but have since Fordham went through, I think it sort of washed over us and, and was a, a sort of um, a non-issue, but um I feel for the organizers uh, who I'm sure were were not pleased to find that issue and and have to announce it. And I think it was announced at you know 4:30 in the morning, and there was a lot of tired folks uh, around the world, um, you know, waiting to hear the the next announcement. And um, so it was it was tough, but I thought they did a, a really good job. Well, sure. And you know, our our team, I coached a, a team this year as well. We didn't even compete in the Viz East, and you know I was losing more hair. I'm already bald. I was losing more hair watching all of that play out. Um, but but glad that it, that it worked out um, in the end. And in leaving that topic around, because I'm getting stressed out just thinking about it again. Uh, how did it feel to win? I mean, what was that moment like when you heard or saw the result? I mean, um, did you guys immediately book a trip to Disney World, or I mean, what what, what was it like? I honestly, that was one of the best moments of honestly my life. I, I cannot describe um, how happy. Uh, so we were all watching. The coaches had a sort of 
separate, you know, text group. And then we were all watching and, and you know, that's how we would sort of communicate. Because obviously with this virtual situation, it's it's hard to feel um, the, the camaraderie and, and the joy together. But we, we, we managed moment that it was announced that Fordham won, I mean, I think I, I think I screamed, I think I cried, I, I, I was so incredibly happy. And I know then we all sort of jumped on a call um, with the team. So with Ian and Fallon, obviously, and then everyone else who'd been involved and the coaches. And I think this was the most, one of the most beautiful moments I've, I've had in my life. We were all crying. We were all so happy. Um, you know, Dave and Brennan um, had their sort of kids, uh, you know, on the camera, and um, it was it was just pure, pure joy and pride and absolute. I think also, I mean, I was a little bit astonished. I couldn't, I couldn't really believe it, uh, but it was it was a fantastic moment. I mean, there were really no words. Dave, same question. Absolutely. It was uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And uh, I think it was my ninth or 10th year involved in the competition. And um, I have watched with uh, admiration and, you know, small amounts of jealousy as teams go to the final and, and compete in front of large crowds and to be a part of that and to to watch students who you've worked with uh, so closely um, get that recognition and you know, and be able to to be a part of this community for the rest of their careers and and have that feather in their cap. Uh, I was so happy for them and I was happy for me and for Ellen Louise. Um, and it was great to be able to celebrate it with my wife and my kids sitting there on Zoom with the whole class. And it was uh, it was really shocking and, um, you know, and uh, something I will remember for a very long time. Oh, that sounds great. Um, it was it was just uh, oof, exciting, you know, to, to hear you, even you, the two of you, talk about it just now. Um, and you know, my hats off to uh, to your team. Um, one final wrapping up question, Dave. Um, on this point, how was your team? How was uh, the Fordham team structured? Um, is is it four, eight? I mean, how does it work? Yeah. So um, the Fordham uh, Viz team is part of uh, a larger organization called the Dispute Resolution Society at Fordham, which is a wonderful well-resourced organization that includes multiple moot court teams. And um, so 1Ls uh, join Dispute Resolution Society. And then from that larger group, um, teams are picked. And they Fordham typically chooses eight competitors for Viz and four what we call bench team members who help with research and drafting of, uh, of memoranda. And um, typically, we'll send four competitors to Viz East and four to Viz West. This year, I believe because of somebody transferring law schools over the summer, uh, we had seven competitors, so three in Hong Kong and three in Vienna, and uh, or four in Vienna. And um, and so that's that's typically how the, the Fordham team is structured. And then two of those competitors or bench team members um, become the 3L coaches the following year. And that's who Brennan and Tatum were this year our incredible, dedicated, invaluable 3L coaches who do so much work. Uh, those are former competitors. That, 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 that sounds great. I mean, it's, it's, I'm always fascinated to see how uh, different teams, different schools will structure. Okay, um, leaving aside the BIS for now, we're going to take a step back from that and um, do a little bit of uh, 
just rapid fire uh, questions. Um, and Ellen Louise will put this one your way first. What are you reading right now? What kind of books do you have um, in your in your lineup? Right now, I'm reading um, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it's it's great. That's the only one I'm reading right now. Um, and yeah, that's it. And what have you got on your Netflix queue? Oh, last night I actually watched uh, My Octopus Teacher, um, which I'd heard of for a long time. And I, I someone told me it got nominated for, for an Oscar. So I watched this for the first time um, last night. It was just such a beautiful, calming um, film. I don't know if you've seen it, but I highly, highly recommend it. I, I, I loved it. My octopus teacher. Okay, I'll have to add that. Um, Dave, music and Netflix. What kind of music are you into and what are you watching on Netflix? So I, you know, not to punt on the music, I, I really do love all music, but I'd say I, I gravitate towards um, a lot of sort of singer-songwriter, um, folky kind of music. I really like Ray LaMontagne and Amos Lee and things like that. And then for the last like three or four years, for whatever reason, I've been really into more electronic music and electro pop and things like that. Um, just kind of more danceable stuff. So listen to artists like Grizz or Griffin. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have my, my stuff, my stuff that can bring me down to relax and my stuff that can sort of pump me up. Dave, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on 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 Netflix, my wife and I just watched season two of The Circle, which is a reality show uh, about like using the medium of social media. And when we started it, we thought it was going to be sort of background trashy TV. Uh, and it ended up being pretty phenomenal, a really interesting social experiment, I thought, uh, and very, very watchable. So we really enjoyed that. Huh. Okay. No, well, I mean, the secret is the reason why I ask these questions. I'm always looking for new recommendations for myself. So I'll have to check out uh, both of those, um, the, uh, My Octopus Teacher and, and The Circle. Um, the, the two final questions that I have for you are, are first, um, and I, I suppose I'll put this one to you, David, and, uh, and Ellen Louise can follow. Um, what do you do during these tense moments, you know, whether it be in the VIS or just in general, um, to sort of make sure that you're taking care of your physical and mental health. Um, how do you how do you make, find time to, to tend to those things? So I, I've uh, I take a lot of breaks. I think that um, you know it's important to get up from your desk, walk around, go outside. Um, and in the last three years, uh, one of my you know best stress relievers is is hanging out with my daughters. My daughter Madeline is three and a half and my daughter Layla is eight months old and uh, it's always a really good reminder of what's important and what matters and um, it really kind of helps the, the stress levels go way down. Very cool and makes sense. Ellen Louise, what do you think on how do you manage those uh, sort of uh, physical and mental health uh, attributes? Um, it's a good it's a good question. I think uh, this year uh, was obviously just a really challenging year in, in sort of every 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 way for, for, for I think everyone in the world. I mean, this, the, the sort of circumstances we we're facing, you know, just 
in the in the world and 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 just just this this fear and anxiety that was a that was a communal sort of made us all more aware of our of our sort of taking care of our mental health and 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 physical health and so i i definitely started doing things that i never used such as going on sort of long walks and obviously i was in lisbon for 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 a while while we were while we were teaching so it's a you know it's a great place to to just take very long walks and that would that would definitely you know make me calm down and and sort of get some um uh, get some stress relief, and then uh, in general, just uh, for me, it's it's really just doing some sports. So uh, you know, getting getting any sort of anxiety out by going swimming, going running, going for a walk. Um, that really that really does it for me. Uh, and then when we sort of got to the you know during Viz, when we got to the really stressful final weeks, like Dave said, you know, just taking breaks taking a second, going outside, um, you know, just sort of, yeah, getting some perspective because sometimes it, it's, it can be very, very intense and very, very stressful. And Ellen Louise, I think that those are all great tips um, for, for taking care of those things, the things that we, we can't overlook even though we're all working longer and harder than we were pre-pandemic. Uh, the sort of flat final question that I have is, uh, for those that are listening that want to, maybe they're going to be coaches, maybe they're future Moody's that are listening. Um, if you want to be successful in the moot, what would you recommend? What what piece of advice would you give them? One piece of advice, just put your fears aside and, and go for it. You know, I think what I really noticed with, with our students was, you know, the second that they, they sort of let go of of all of those imposter syndrome or anxieties or worries around performance and they just they just go in and they have fun with it and they they stand in their confidence and you know they just do it you know i think that's the real key to success in this competition you know have fun be confident don't be afraid and go for it yeah absolutely and uh, i would add if at all possible i i encourage students to keep a very light load in what else, in the other things that they're doing. I think that the ability to really focus on Viz, especially in the spring semester, to not load up on externships and black letter law classes if possible. And I've had many students before say that, you know, they looked back and wished that they had put a little bit more into it and feel I haven't heard that with people say that about, you know, taking advanced tax, you know, another class. So I think that if students want to get involved in this competition, really committing to it, trying to uh, give themselves the time and space and mental energy to be able to do what we were able to do this year, which is, you know, when it comes to crunch time to just uh, have a one track mind and and, um, and go all in. I think it really it really helps. No, fair enough. I think that those that those are two both great sets of of advice. And it's uh, things I've counseled other Moody's and my own students. Um, and preparing for the moot that you really kind of have to have that sort of um, like a, like a fighter training for a fight. You've got to be all about it um, from from when the time the problem drops, um, and but especially um, during those final few weeks. Well, Dave, Ellen, Louise, thank you both so much for coming by the studio. Um, the time has just kind of flown by, and it's been a fantastic uh, look into uh, the coach's mind and sort of the the ethos of preparing and succeeding in the this. So thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, Ellen Louise, you wanna sign us off? Sure, Chris. 
I'm Ellen Louise Moons, and there's no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank you for having me. I am David Gallo, and there's no disputing it. You are listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank you both, and we will see y'all next time. They are the champions. My friends, and they'll keep on mooting to the end. All right, enough singing. We'll save that for hashtag arbitration karaoke. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As a fellow coach this year, it was insightful to hear how Fordham and Busiris both prepared and managed their emotions and development throughout the season. My hat's off to them, and I look forward to seeing how their teams do in the future. On that same note, I give a shout-out to my own team this year, the first team to hail from the great state of South Carolina and by way of the Charleston School of Law. Sarah, Grace, Talita, Amy, and Jonathan, congrats on your efforts this season. You've paved the way for students across the state to follow in your footsteps. I couldn't be more proud of your effort this season, and I'm excited to see how Charleston does next year and to see if any other schools from the state of South Carolina will jump in the fray. In any event, that's it for this week. We do have just one more announcement. After next week's episode, we will take a brief mid-season break, just two weeks, while we flesh out the final touches on season three. Don't worry, Disputes Digest will be there to get your TOT content fixed in. Tales of the Tribunal is produced by Mo Better Solutions, and show music is done by Joshua and Jaden Campbell. Show interns are Matthew Compton and Ramatulahi Jalo. Feedback and comments for the show can be sent to talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. That's it for this week. Don't forget, there is no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared on today or any episode of Tales of the Tribunal is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any person or party for their appearance on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearances should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.